folks welcome back to another edition of the gang does fantasy podcast i'm taylor wilson aka falcoholics anonymous joined uh, as always by the uh, media mogul the uh, rupert murdoch of fantasy the commission himself coming off of his first win of the year reed foster aka eve saint laurence and uh reed gotta be feeling good uh right there at 500 here after a couple of weeks uh well i mean it's after the first week when we were the lowest scoring team in the entire league and things are looking pretty fucking desperate uh i mean it was a nice turnaround and i think more importantly we got some of the some better usage from guys that we were having some real concerns about after week one damian pierce was getting so out snapped by rex burkhead and i was like is that 27 dollars right down the toilet he comes back dominates the snaps for the texans he's looking back like a pretty good pick kyle pitts obviously is still major fucking question mark and there's still a lot of concerns for the team but i mean you know at this point of the year it's just about stacking these wins well and i mean good time to get the dentist system i think we can go ahead and start throwing some chirps out to uh to mr shannon as the lowest uh, points for situation league i understand i have a worse record i get it he and i have been in some conversations about uh you know potential uh you know a move here or there and uh, i've gotten mm-hmm. to know him a little bit through the dms but uh not a great team, Reed, I will say, uh, in, that you beat there. I mean, credit to you getting the win, but a nice time to go up against the dentist system. Yeah, I mean, 120 points, that's going to – if I couldn't have be- beaten that, then I don't deserve to win at all. Uh, I mean, I was – to be fair, I was top half of the league in scoring this week, but I wasn't quite to the level of like Daniel or Nick or Jack sure. or anything for sure. All right, we'll get to my uh, sort of near miracle and then heartbreak in a second. Let's just run through a few scores here to just recap week two before we start looking ahead. Um, we might as well go ahead and talk about a nearly 500 combined point matchup between Baby Don't Hurts Me and Ben's Walking Boots, 260.5 to 230.3. That's the win for uh, for Dan, as Barra calls him there in that matchup. And, you know, it's what, 75 combined points from the quarterbacks, a huge defensive performance and really across the board not a single hole just the kicker the only position that even remotely let baby don't hurts me down in this game and despite we'll talk about Amon St. Brown uh, Amon Raw excuse me St. Brown a little bit later in the show coming off of a 47 burger for Ben's walking boots just not enough and of course the 55 from Lamar as well uh, ultimately 230 not enough just bad luck for Ben's walking boots in this matchup yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, second highest point total of the week. I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of a, a game that Nick won last year. I believe it was week three uh, against Barrow when Nick had a 270 and Barrow lost to a 265. Just brutal, brutal. And I mean, thankfully for Nick, it didn't come down to his flex spot because he did have some consternation about what to do with his last one. And he went with Rex Burkhead, who got him almost nothing, but no one he was going to start was going to be going to be able to close that gap. I mean, just like you said, just consistent performance top to bottom from Daniel, uh, really dominant performance. Third highest uh, point total here this week was Curtis, the anti-Vaxxonville Jaguars just completely hammering a really rough start to the season for Melfi country road, take Mahomes uh, two eighteen point five to the one forty five and change the final here. I mean, the I believe the most lopsided result of the week. Mahomes kind of does the Mahomes thing. Williams does the Williams thing there for the Chargers. 
and a lot of other grossness for the most part from Melfi, not a ton of explosiveness from his team. Meanwhile, on the other side, we'll talk about Tua and the upside and what we expect from him the rest of the season a little bit later in the show, Reed. Just a monster performance from him, one that also propels, you know, two of those Miami receivers into, I believe, the top four so far this season. One of them, Tyreek Hill, here on this team. Top three, you're right. Dropping 53 in this game. So he gets, uh, what, 105 plus from two players in that Miami offense. And then that's just the foundation for a, a solid week kind of across the rest of the roster. Um, obviously, you know, we've talked about boomer bust rosters before. Is that how you see this roster? I mean, there are some concerns here as well, despite posting a 218. You know, suddenly the Derrick Henry, you know, is Derrick Henry about to fall off kind of conversation has started. Um, maybe that's too much of an overreaction based on just a dreadful uh complete drubbing that Tennessee had in that, you know, one of two Monday night games. But uh hard to chirp uh, a two eighty performance. And you know, we we talked after the auction draft read there are question marks in that Miami offense but people like the upside for a reason and we saw some of that upside here in this uh comeback win in Baltimore which really helped Curtis get this win yeah honestly I a lot of the concerns that I had prior I am a lot less concerned about with Curtis and I say that like even including Derrick Henry like his running back room I think is a lot better than I thought going into the year I had a lot of questions about Josh Jacobs but he's actually doing a pretty He's got a pretty nice role in, in Las Vegas still. He's getting decent target share. And I think Derrick Henry, he's been unfortunate the last two weeks where they've had pretty bad game scripts, especially on Monday night where they're getting blown out so bad that Malik Willis is in of the third quarter. Derrick Henry, he's going to consistently get over 20 touches. And if you're getting that kind of volume, it doesn't matter if you're washed. And I, I do think he's probably washed at this point. But if you're getting that level of volume, it really doesn't matter. And Antonio Gibson's actually been pretty solid to begin the year. So I feel pretty good about Curtis moving forward, especially if what we've seen from Tua is real. And also Carson Wentz, what he's shown is real, because those two guys are both top five quarterbacks right now. Well, that's the biggest thing, because if you are going to look at holes and you are going to look at potential concerns or real concerns for Curtis right now, Aaron Rodgers is one of them, obviously had that that terrible week one Better this week, gets the passing yards, obviously wins the football game. But then you start thinking, well, he actually looked better and he's still topping out at around 16 points. That's a concern. But like you said, maybe he just plugs in Wentz. I can say this having, you know, I don't want to reveal too much from behind the curtain, but I've talked with Curtis about how he views Wentz in the macro going forward this season this week. And he's extremely high on him. You can understand why. He's either going to be playing him or sitting on him as a potential major trade chip as the season goes on, uh, depending on what happens with Aaron Rodgers. So a great situation for him to have as some other teams cough myself are really struggling uh, to find that kind of QB depth read. Yeah. And I mean, like you said with Rodgers, like the way he's topping out, I just don't know that that offense is going to be passing enough. Like Rodgers will probably be a little better, but I'm not seeing him. I don't really see a whole lot of high potential with him moving forward. Wentz, I mean, the what benefits Wentz is that Washington's defense is so bad that they're going to continue to have to be in shootouts. And if they're in a bunch of shootouts, and Wentz, as long as Wentz doesn't throw a pick six, basically, because yeah. like Wentz is making all the terrible mistakes these last two games. He's taking a bunch of sacks. He's throwing interceptions, but it really doesn't matter because he's topping out at over 400 yards and getting three, four touchdowns. So as long as you don't have the back-breaking pick six, I think he could probably keep this up. Great set of weapons. You know, you look at the receivers, um, he's going to be able to plug some guys in 
most likely to fix the Metcalf situation. That would be the other hole that you look at. I mean, we talked about how badly or how steep of a cliff is Metcalf going to drop off this year under Geno. And, uh, well, it hasn't been great so far. So that would be the only other thing that I would highlight. But, you know, look, you're not going to get 50 burgers from Tyreek and two every week. Uh, you have to ask yourself, what does this roster look like on a more reasonable total for those two guys? But, you know, the receivers are in good shape with Debo probably plugging in one of these receivers from his bench. He has decent enough receiver depth there, potentially with Deontay going in there. Um, he could figure something out, I think, in terms of the top three receivers. And we've talked about this. Having a problem at one of your three receiver positions isn't the worst issue in the world to have in this league in terms of guys that you can actually find in trades uh, and on the open market. So he could figure that out as well. Um, you know, I think he's in pretty good shape. Let's switch to the Melfi side of this. Obviously, uh, I believe the second worst point total of the week, as mm-hmm. I just give a quick cursory look over the scores here. Um, you know, the Melfi thing that in the auction was all in on Mahomes to make this the anchor of the team. When you're not getting 40 burgers from Mahomes, that strategy suddenly looks a little bit more suspect. How do you feel about the Melfi team right now? Not as bad as I thought it would be with Melfi going into this because I actually like James Connor, he got hurt in the middle of the game against the Raiders. It looks like he's going to be fine. And Leonard Fournette has had elite, elite, elite usage, but just hasn't quite found the end zone yet. I look at that, and honestly, Miles Sanders has completely blown away any expectations I had for him. So if Miles Sanders is going to be this, and Leonard Fournette and James Conner continue to get the usage they have, he actually is a pretty nice set of running backs. And his wide receivers are solid enough. I like, like Cooks, Mike Williams, Juju. I think you can win with that actually has some pretty decent quarterback depth, depending on how you feel about Jameis or when Dak comes back. I don't think that Melfi's in a disaster spot. What concerns me about Melfi is that he's 0-2 already, and he's digging himself a hole, and I just do not trust Melfi to dig himself out of this and to fill out these roster holes because he is not, he's just not engaged at all. Like I keep, I don't know how many times I have to tell him that he has extra roster spots to put players in, and he's just not. Well, you've heard it. You've heard it here, Melfi. If you are somehow tuning in, you're uh, you've gotten another uh, another advisory here from the commish. But I, maybe a fifteen percent chance uh, max that you're tuning into this. But that's pretty shout high. out there. Yeah, that's that's too high, right? <laughs> I, I take the under. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, he's going to be the thing with Melfi is, and I agree. Like when you go through it, just position by position, he looks a little bit better than an 0-2 record in the second worst point haul in the first two weeks of the season would seem to indicate. Um, QB2 is an issue after the DAC injury and, you know, trying to figure out QB. And I say this as someone who's been in the weeds in this, this week for a few days after the trade disaster, which we'll get to here very briefly. But, um, you know, it, it takes some finessing. It is hard to even get guys that, can be solid bench contenders for your quarterback situation uh, through trades in this league. And you have to be savvy on the waivers and you have to be thinking about what the value is across the league. Some of that can come through conversation. Some of it has to just be common sense. And that's all when you're paying complete attention day to day, which we don't necessarily say that Melfi is. So that would be my worry in terms of him figuring out QB two. It's not the worst thing in the world, of course, to have Patrick Mahomes as your QB anchor, but 
it's easy. Look, this has happened to me as a Mahomes owner before. It's easy to rest on your laurels and say, hey, Mahomes is going to be able to figure it out on his own. You need stability at that QB2 position. And Melfi right now, I think, is going to have to do a little bit of work in the market, maybe in a trade somewhere to try to shore up that. That would be my biggest concern for Melfi right now. And of course, like you say, if he's one and one, this isn't as big of a worry. He has a little bit more leeway. I would say the same thing about my team. It's suddenly desperation time already for these teams that are 0 and 2. So Melfi's one of those in that conversation. I actually, I kind of disagree with you. Like I, Jameis had a bad performance. Now maybe you're concerned because he's got the four fractures in his back, but I, I think right now you look at it, Melfi, his QB two the last two weeks has had to go up against the Bucks defense, and there's a chance that this Bucks defense is just the best in the league by far, and it's brutal for any quarterback facing them. So I, I want to see what Jameis does. The Panthers defense is okay this week, but I think Jameis when he faces these worst teams. I think can be a competent QB too. So I'm really not that worried about it. And in fact, if Dak is back pretty soon at that point, Melfi is a power player because if you have Mahomes, Jameis and Dak and Geno, so he actually has four QBs. So he could actually send out a QB without getting one back, which is such a huge deal with all of that. And I think that Jameis and Dak are going to have trade value. And I mean, obviously worst case scenario, you could trade Mahomes, but you just trade one of Dak or Jameis. One of us is going to need him. Absolutely, someone is going to need him. I mean, I would be fascinated to see what the conversation and the value and all of that looks like in a possible Mahomes, you know, shopping around the league kind of thing with Melfi. That would be fascinating to see what happens. Um, maybe that's a reality if he starts out one in five or something and we start, you know, having that kind of a of a convo around the league. Um, so for you then, Jameis, I mean, you're you're more on board. In terms of the positives you've seen from Jameis, you're going to ignore the first half uh, against the Falcons and look at the second half of that game week one. Because I thought he looked pretty awful for the first couple quarters of the season as well. Um, so if you look at it that way, it's one good half of football so far. I, I think your Bucks point is is spot on. But uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not super confident in him, but I'm I'm not willing to I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon yet because I do think that it's a good set of receivers he's receivers he's got. And he's going to be throwing it down the field a bunch. So, you know, and like I said, it's a QB two. We got people. Like I'm, yeah. I was starting Mac Jones and Jared Goff in my QB two. So I think Jameis would be incredible. Well, no, and that is the type of player in theory you could get away with a QB two with Mahomes as your anchor, right? Like if you get the, I guess the the law of averages kind of scenario for Jameis as opposed to these kind of boomer bust week one and week two outcomes that we've seen. Um, All right. One other matchup. I'll get to my own. Uh, I have started out 0-2. Justin squared 169.16 over Falcoholics Anonymous 164.14. This was a game, I I believe it dipped into single digits in terms of probability uh, win percentage chance for me coming into the the primetime stuff. I believe similar coming into the double Monday nighter. And then you get a 50 burger from Stefan Diggs and suddenly this thing looks not only like there's a chance, but you know, the probability shifted all the way from about 8% into the low sixties at one point for me in this matchup under the assumption that Kirk cousins would be just okay. Can you be just okay down the stretch under the lights in a primetime game? And he was dreadful. Uh, Some awful picks. I even still had a chance down the stretch where if I get a Kirk rushing touchdown, I'm still going to come out with the win. And they're there in the red zone and they can't get it done. 
Uh, ultimately, of course, the game was already out of hand for the Vikings at that point. So you're playing fantasy versus real life football, but some bad picks down the stretch. And for me, uh, you know, we'll get to that. I just want to keep the Lance thing as an isolated conversation. So I'll just go out, go off on Kirk here before we get into the Lance thing and the waivers, but, uh, I mean, Heartbreak was, King loss. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the, the thing is too, it was perfect game script. I mean, the Vikings were down 24 to seven at halftime. So they, they had to be throwing. And what's brutal is that like with all of this, he threw a 64-yard touchdown to Irv Smith streaking down the sideline, and he dropped it. Irv Smith holds on to that, and it's yep. it's it's a wrap. You've got this wet victory in tow. But, I mean, those are the breaks. I mean, what, what kills you is that you get a combined negative .1 from Darnell Mooney and Dalton Schultz. Schultz gets injured in the middle of it. I mean, you had two players get hurt in the first half of their games, which just kills you. I mean, Mooney not doing anything kind of hurts Eric, too, because he had Justin Fields, but... I mean, that's a whole other discussion about what's going on with the Bears passing game. And as someone who owns Mooney in two of my other two leagues, livid, absolutely livid about his situation. I mean, like, negative four yards, negative four passing yard, receiving yards. How does that even happen? Well, it's uh, like in week one, you can say, oh, it's the weather. It's the weather. Let's all sleep at night. Five combined targets now through the first two games. Uh I mean, this is a player who I kind of backed my way into thinking that my opponent here, Eric, would outbid me for him. And I ended up feeling like, all right, I get him as my wide receiver three as a top target man in this offense. That's the whole argument here. You know, who else are you going to throw to? And that hasn't happened. Uh, so, yeah, the Mooney thing has been a disaster for me. Obviously, the receivers end up looking fine on the total because you get a late lamb touchdown and then you get a 50 burger from Diggs. So if you just add up the points, you're in good shape there. But little bit more concerning going forward when he you know try to think about wide receiver three obviously julio's on the roster that's going to be an option some weeks depending on his health potentially consider him in the flex kind of point of view or wide receiver three since my running back depth is decent enough right now um with some question marks there though going down the depth chart as well so uh yeah i mean this is a tough week uh obviously um a really bad sunday uh I guess we can use this now to transition into the Trey stuff. Um, I mean, this is basically as bad as it gets. I've had some horrific injuries in this league as a fantasy participant uh, here now for about three years. Um, the DAC one after the trade with Gibby. Uh, oh, that. Would... Oh, my God. I forgot about that. The timing of it literally Day, completed yeah. less than 24 hours Saturday, before he got hurt. It was a Saturday night kind of thing. It's one of these where Gibby and I were both, you know, like I was out at one point. He Yeah, exactly. He was out at another point. We're still negotiating as we get to like post-game plays, like back. And then like literally like the post-post game of the night, like me back at my apartment, him back wherever he was. And we're still negotiating. It's the middle of the night, later than the middle of the night. We finally get something etched out. We finalize it the next morning. And Dak is out for the year after the trade. So I would still put that as slightly worse than this one, which is still horrific. Um, obviously a QB keeper for me, um, a QB on a team where I did not keep in mind my whole thing coming into this year, Reed was I'm not going to spend 70 bucks on a Mahomes. I'm not, I'm going to stay out of the conversation for those top five, top eight guys and try to bank on the potential and the upside for Lance and say, Hey, you know, cousins as a QB two in the low thirties in terms of the auction price, that's a nice guy to compliment with him. Um, okay. You could criticize my strategy in terms of not going out and 
really prioritizing getting a strong QB three, which some teams have, some teams haven't. And naturally now I'm in this spot. Of course, there's the Jimmy G part of this. There's even the Desmond Ritter part of this. Of course, he's not starting yet. Wouldn't help me in the short term, but maybe in the long term, he's now on the market, of course, as you've let him go. So uh, all of these things are swirling around my head. Full disclosure, I was not watching the early slate live on this Sunday, and I came late to the late slate. So I really was catching up on everything after doing some boyfriend duties with the misses early on this Sunday. And I had to, you know, I basically was coming into it like, hey, first, oh, the Falcons are coming back and doing a reverse 28 to three thing. That's fun. I'm going to lock into this. And then as I kind of threw that game on, I'm like, wait, what the hell is happening with Lance? And I get your, I see your text coming in. I'm seeing 10 other people messaging. Oh my God. It's a complete disaster for Trey Lance. So that's how I discovered this whole thing happening. Reed. I didn't even see the play live. I've obviously gone back and looked at it since. Um, and that ironically, suddenly throw, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, ironically, he, he basically had the same ankle injury as Dak. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yep. Yes. Very well put, sir. Very well put. And you're correct. Um, I mean, you basically, you were the mean, you were the, you're Donald Glover and community coming back with the pizza box in hand, seeing the whole fucking apartment on fire. Literally. It's literally what it is. Um, and of so course, just, naturally, the Falcons. I mean, what's great about all this too is I got back in time to see the Falcons just j- just get back into it to have the heartbreaker on the end of it, which is a fantastic kind of uh, added piece on top of the fantasy disaster. But so I'm seeing that. I'm seeing the Falcons stuff. Uh, I'm again seeing, uh, you know, disappointments kind of n- nothing terrible, but some underwhelming games up and down the roster. And it immediately it looked like, all right, I'm going to need a miracle. Uh, going into the Monday night stuff. But my head, in terms of the quarterback thing, we can parlay this conversation into what happened on the waivers. My head immediately that day into that night was, all right, I have to have two types of conversations now. One is what kind of QB3s, QB4s, QB5s are available around the league that teams might be willing to give up, uh, potentially for one of my flex guys, which has actually been a position of, relative strength for me early this season when you look at Carter and Henderson um the macro look on those guys a lot different than the short term especially now after you know suddenly the Henderson picture looks a little bit worse after week two uh in terms of the usage rates there uh and certainly the Carter thing you know you always kind of considered him an early season player with Brees Hall coming into the thick of things but you know maybe Carter is startable the rest of the year as well in terms of the uh, the target share in the receiving game as well. But, uh, you know, those are the kinds of players I start to think about. It's like, can I deal one of these guys and get a startable quarterback that I can pair with Kirk Cousins, maybe as a stopgap, maybe as a long-term thing. That was actually my first thought process. Obviously, Garoppolo was going to be available on waivers. So was Cooper Rush. So those are the two players you have to think about, Garoppolo, gets it done both in the short-term, medium-term, and long-term, assuming – that this Lance injury is as serious as it looks with a year ender as it appears to be. Um, and the Cooper rush thing, maybe this is a better short-term option than Jacoby Brissett. That ends up being where my thought process is get, you know, not, I would say to the late stages, but to an intermediate stage of negotiating on a quarterback from multiple teams. Uh, those conversations fizzle out. And naturally, the places, you know, the banks in the league right now, the big fab boys, Melfi and Barra, are impossible to negotiate with in any way. 
Uh, I know Melfi's gotten a little better on this, but I got a full no response from him on my first offer. And Barra, you know, <clears throat> this is what happens with Barra. I know he's coming off of a loss. A confident Barra in this league is one of the worst things you can get in terms of having someone to negotiate with. Because this dude, I don't understand the point of him stocking up the fab that he did if he's not going to be a real competitor in some of this stuff. I know he put in a bid for Garoppolo. Clearly, that's where his head ended up being. But boy, is it brutal to have conversations with Barra. Shout out to the rest of the league. I had some good convos around the rest of the league as well, but uh, none of them came to fruition, Reed. And so here I am left with, you know, a waiver wire where I knew that a ton of teams were able to outbid me on 79. I end up bidding 42. I didn't think he would go in the mid forties. Why, why? Okay. So why did you not just bid the full 79 in case that like, because I don't, people were I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to be at zero. Honestly, I would much rather give myself a week or two to figure this thing out. Um, I guess this is a little bit of overconfidence in terms of figuring out a trade. And yeah, I might have to start Jacoby this week. There's still a few more, uh, a few more hours <laughs> to try to make a decision on that at this point. But uh, I even, this is the, the reason why I actually leaned more into trying to get a player as opposed to getting fab, because I was not even, let's say I got 30 fab. I was not going to bid a hundred for Garoppolo. I probably would have gone somewhere in the seventies to give myself, I wanted to have at least 30 left over. Um, and so ultimately I'm like, you know what? I'll bid more than half my budget. Maybe people will lay off. Maybe they won't. I definitely misassessed how high this thing would go. Do not get me wrong. You end up getting them for 90. Shout out to you on that. Uh, as we just clarify the other bids, Barra 85, Eric 80. <clears throat> I was in there at 42. Was anyone behind me? I don't, maybe there were no. a couple other bids. I don't think so. No. Um, so you end up getting him at 90. I did not think it would go that high, but I didn't think 42 would get it done either. Um, in, in retrospect, I don't really care about what I did on the, um, on the Garoppolo wire. Cause I didn't think I was a real contender. I probably would have liked to just go all in on Cooper rush, maybe drop 20 to 30 on him. Didn't think he would go for 20 either. And I've again, misassessed just how valuable quarterbacks are in this league. And people have gone all out on them. Uh, you know, in Jack's case, going in on 20 for Cooper rush for however long that ends up being, you know, this is a player who has, as I pull up some numbers thrown for 235 and 300 plus, and basically the two actual games that he's played. I know he's played some snaps beyond those two games, um, so you're hoping that that's enough volume in terms of the passing yards and he's not going to bog you down with picks, but that would probably be my regret in uh, hindsight on the waivers read is not going all in a little bit more for him and just kind of letting the Jimmy G sweepstakes go. But obviously you're the winner here. So I, I want your thoughts uh, as well in terms of, you know, how you were figuring out the price. I know both you and your brother and a couple others immediately came to me asking, kind of trying to get a feeler on how much I was going to bid. Uh, who were you trying, you know, looking through the rosters, who were you mainly thinking about outbidding there? Because clearly, you know, the $80 bid from Eric, that is a bid a dollar beyond me, right? That's a play yeah. to outbid me. What was your thought process on the 90? Well, I knew that 90 uh, was the maximum that Eric could go with. And I have higher waiver priority than Eric. And, you know, I honestly, like, I think that like, that's why I think Barra should have bid 90 minimum or 91, I guess. Cause I, I no 90. Cause he, I guess he's above Eric on waiver priority too. Um, I mean, yeah. Do I, in a vacuum, do I want to spend 90 fab on Jimmy G? Absolutely not. But that's the position I'm in. 
I put myself in that position because I fucked up in the auction and I, I knew all summer, all off season, I knew there was going to be a QB scarcity and yet I still flinched when it came down to it at the auction. And so this is what I have to do now. I mean, this is the tough decision because ultimately like maybe Jared Goff ends up being good this year. Who knows? Maybe Mac Jones ends up being functional, but also, I mean, let's say one of them gets hurt. I mean, Mac Jones has that back thing or whatever. It's probably going to be fine. But like if one of them gets hurt, then I don't have a third QB for a bye week. And you've seen how much you have to give up to get a starting, like not starting caliber, just literally a starting quarterback, one, a body that you can stick into that QB two slot. It's going to cost you so much. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, I can give up 90 fab right now. And that's going to hurt, but it's probably going to hurt less than having to give up like Aaron Jones or Damian Pierce or one of my good running backs to get a quarterback down the line. And I might still have to do that to be clear, but now I'm not forced to do that. Now I could potentially stream my QBs and get away with it and shore up the the one area of my roster where I had serious, serious, serious concerns. Uh, and so I I don't feel bad. Like the 90, I don't feel bad about that at all. That, that's the kind of tough decision that you kind of have to make when your back's against the wall. And I'll, like, I'll be honest with you, like I I think that like you bidding 42 on it because you didn't you wanted to leave yourself some fab I, I I think you're just not taking the I don't think you're understanding the situation enough here. I don't think you're taking it serious because that 30 fab, who cares if you're 0 and 5? If you're 0 and 5, that 30 fab's not going to do shit for you. What's the whole point of having fab for a situation like this? And now I'll, I'll be clear about this. I think you got fucked over. You got very, very unfortunate with how things worked out where you bid on Julio and then immediately he's out. And we could talk about, oh, well, Taylor bid too much, $21 or whatever. But if Julio lives up to what he can be, and he absolutely still can be, that $21 is going to be an absolute steal because he'll be a top 20 wide receiver. And, you know, let's say even if you bid $12 or $11, you weren't going to be able to match 90. So I don't really blame you on that front. I'm not going to get into the depths of some of the other conversations trying to get Players, uh, I will just say I was surprised with some of the no's that I got from Mr. Shannon, uh, the newest member of the league. But uh, we can uh, we can continue to revisit that, and he and I will have conversations as the season goes on. Uh, I do, of course, now need to figure out QB2 in a big way. Let's just talk about Cooper Rush really quickly, though, who I did bid for. Ultimately, your brother gets him for 20. Um, like I said, this is a guy who's thrown for a decent amount of passing yards the two times that we've seen him you know, be a starting NFL quarterback. Do you think that that, I mean, it it feels like a, I guess this is a spoiler for a debate we're going to have later on the show in terms of Jack's situation with Brady and Burrow, but it feels like a, you know, give myself some more options uh, at quarterback and see what happens over the next couple of weeks kind of play. I don't think it's that. I think, first of all, he wanted to block you from getting him because then that's going to create more trade leverage. um, And also you're his opponent this week. And uh, on top of that, I mean, Jack right now, he doesn't have a third starting quarterback. His third QB is Kenny Pickett, who is not the starting quarterback of the Steelers. Now, and, and what he what he has to be hoping is that there will be an overlap between uh, Dak Prescott coming back and Kenny Pickett taking over for Mitch Trubisky because Mitch sucks ass. And that's a reasonable gamble, and it's one that he kind of has to make right now because if Joe Burrow or Tom Brady gets hurt, he was – he was going to have to go with Taysom. Uh, so, you know, I mean, $20 is, I was surprised he went 20. I thought maybe he might go 10 or 15. Um, 
but I, you know, I don't, I don't think Cooper Rush is anyone you feel great about starting. I, it would take a lot for me to start Cooper Rush, but those are, those are kind of those decisions. Eric uh, was also involved here, uh, by the way, just before we move off the waivers on the, uh, on the Jimmy G sweepstakes, uh, if I'm correct, right? With that 80, yeah. This is just about him trying to, well, obviously, you know, get quarterback depth in general, but he only he has two have guys a third now. QB. Yeah, he only has yeah. two guys. So he's in he's in a similar situation to me, although I'm I I technically have three, depending on uh, on how you want to view uh, he who shall shall not be named from uh, from New Orleans. So we'll we'll get to a new segment when Zoom lets us. Coming up next, uh, the uh, wide receivers Amon Ross St. Brown. Where are you ranking him? We'll get to that next Gang Does Fantasy Podcast. All right, receiver corner as we move right along. And it is uh, time to spotlight him on Ross St. Brown who, I I mean, this is a pretty incredible run going back to last year, these eight games, 67 catches, 740 yards, eight touchdowns across those eight games. Uh, He now has eight or more catches in eight games in a row as well. Uh, He's just a massive part of that offense. You look at it, 17 catches on 24 targets this season. The next closest there are Hawkinson and Shark with 14 and 12 targets respectively. I mean, you you pose this question, uh, Reed, in terms of kind of where he is. He's wide receiver four on the season in terms of points so far. Where do you have him in terms of the power rankings? There's probably a handful of guys who aren't quite there ahead of him in terms of points. Uh, I think you have one of them on your roster, Reed, most likely. But who, who else are you putting ahead of him? It's not many guys at this point, right? I mean, I think that – I think you you got to say he's a top 10 guy right now in terms of like wide receivers you'd want in fantasy. I think he's a clear top 10. And if you wanted to argue top five, I would not fight you. I wouldn't fight you on that. But I probably wouldn't put him there. Like if we're talking about guys for the rest of the season who I would want just in a vacuum, not talking about price tag or anything, I would take uh, in no particular order. uh, I would definitely take Cooper Cup. I'd take Mr. Jefferson. I would take Tyreek Hill. I would take uh, Devontae Adams for sure. It's kind of becoming kind of after that point, it kind of is up in the air. You know, like more chase. I I don't know. I, I, I would really hesitate right now between Jamar chase and Amon Ross St. Brown, just because of the incredible target share. I'd probably take chase. I would probably take chase. I I might go AJ Brown over those guys too, actually, because I love his target share and like I actually I love the connection he has with Jalen Hurts right now. Um, so I think I'd probably go AJ Brown as well, but I think he's in that Jamar Chase range, and like I would without hesitation take him over a guy like uh, Michael Thomas. I'd clearly take him over with him. I would. I mean, I might take him over Stephon Diggs. I might. Oh. Uh, I, that's one where I, again, I probably wouldn't, but if someone said they had, if someone showed me their rankings and they had Amon Ra ahead of Ty, of uh, Stefan Diggs, 
I wouldn't slap them in the face or anything. I would, I would understand why they would feel that way. When you think about a couple of guys in front of him right now, again, he's fourth on points for the first couple of games. Hill and Waddle, in theory, are going to cut into each other's totals at least a little bit. I, I guess the question with St. Brown would be, you know, what is the introduction of Jamison Williams going to mean uh, in terms of the target share, in terms of the deep ball share, just in terms of everything? I mean, Jamison Williams has freak potential as a ceiling. Uh, so I, and of course we don't know after the injury, what things are going to be like there, but I don't that actually, would be I don't, the only thing I'd look at later in the season, but go ahead. Reed. I don't think it affects Amon Ra at all. He has not had a single target under larger than 20 yards this year. So they're just operating in different parts of the field. I mean, I might be concerned for DJ Chark because of that, but honestly, if anything, Jamison Williams coming back could improve Amon Ross St. Brown's value because then he's stretching the field. And then there's so much more room for Amon Ra underneath to operate. And so I just think he's he's just a lock for 10-plus targets every single game. And the one thing I think that you can knock him for for this eight-game stretch that he's had is that he's had eight touchdowns. And I don't think that this is – I mean, no one is going to score a touchdown every single game regardless of offense you're in, but especially on the Lions. An alliance team that I do think has probably more weapons than people give them credit for. TJ Hawkinson's still pretty good. DJ Chark, fine, but obviously also DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. There's only going to be so many touchdowns to go around, so I think that that is why I think he's a little inflated above where I'd probably have him. Where are you at on this uh, Lions defense, just in terms of game situations going the rest of the year? Because it seems like people can still throw on their secondary, but obviously, oh, uh, what's-his-face showed up... Uh, in a big way in week two. Aiden Hutchinson uh, with uh, three Hutchinson. sacks in the yeah, first exactly. half. Exactly. Yeah, three three um, sacks in the first half, but <clears throat> Carson Wentz still threw it all over the field on him. The Eagles had 38 on them, and they just stopped before the fourth quarter. And uh, maybe Philly is just incredible, as they looked on Monday night as well. But I don't think that Lions defense is going to be very good, and that's something that really boosts Amon Ra in my mind, is that they're going to be in shootouts for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I, I love that aspect of it as well. The golf thing, you know, I'm not the biggest golf guy in the world. The first touchdown, uh, I think it was the first one in this game, was a pretty amazing throw. Uh, kind of kind of needled it in there. It wasn't as good when it got into those third and goal, fourth and goal sets early, um, which I think was before that first St. Brown touchdown. But, yeah, you know, I maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe Amon Ra is that good and golf can kind of just be – is that where we're at on this or – yeah, I mean, golf is is fine at feeding him. I don't think because also the offensive line is so good. I mean, they had a couple backups in there, and the backups played fantastic with the Lions. So you just love to see that depth. And if golf has good protection and they're playing a majority of their games indoors, I feel pretty good. Now, if they're if they're playing Green Bay in December at Lambeau, I'm not feeling great about Amon Ra. I'm not feeling great about Jared Goff then. But you're telling me October in in a dome. Sign me up. Yeah, I, he's up there. I mean, look, just to answer the the prompt, I think I have written down Diggs, Cup, Jefferson, Chase. And you can make an argument, I guess, for the Miami guys. I'm going to go St. Brown ahead of them because of just the cutting into their own numbers stuff. And maybe I would agree with the ceiling uh, for A.J. Brown in that offense in Philly as well, maybe. No Devontae? Um, and maybe Devontae. I, I, but again, that's like a fringe 
there there's I would say there is a pretty firm fringe top five argument for St. Brown in terms of the rest of the season going forward. And it's a great point about uh, about Jamison Williams, because I was getting in my head a little bit too much on that. Like once Jamison comes back, if they are going to be on different types of, uh, you know, of passing plays, that might not matter. So, yeah, right around five to eight, you know, somewhere in that mix, I think, for the rest of the season. Yeah, and that's just, I mean, for Nick to get him at $27, that looks like an immediate keeper option. And so Nick, for the next two years, is going to have Jonathan Taylor and he's going to have Amon Ross St. Brown. You know, you have those two guys, you're probably going to be pretty fucking good. Yep. That uh, must be nice. Must be nice. All right, let's go to the rookies as we uh, keep talking about receivers. Um, You know, Falcons are 0-2, but Drake London... You know, you know all about the pits not getting the football stuff, but Drake London is getting a ton of it. He's been awesome. You know, you finally get that big Olave target game, 13 targets against the Bucs. If you could get some something similar to that volume-wise uh, going forward this season, that's a great indicator. Uh, and then Garrett Wilson. Uh, I think you have to ask, you know, who the Jets' offense really is. Is it week one or week two? But who do you like in terms of these rookie receivers so far, Reed? All of them. I mean, I think they all look fantastic, frankly. But I mean, of those three, at least. But I mean, I watched. I obviously live here in New York, so I had the the dumbass Jets game on for a good bit of it. And I mean, Garrett Wilson just looked incredible. He, what's crucial about it is that he is getting those slot snaps, which we thought Elijah Moore was going to get, and those are just so sexy, so tasty because you're going to feast on targets. And he's good on the outside too, but he he had 14 targets against the Browns, and that was only in like 43 snaps or something. Like the actual like target share when you factor in his snap count is up to like nearly 40%. So that was unbelievable. And then we've seen what Drake London has already done. I mean, I would be I would be stunned if I mean, Drake London's the one I'm the most competent in. I would be stunned. If he's healthy, I will be stunned if he's not a top 25 receiver the rest of the year. Yeah. I, I, the only uh, London argument going forward is, you know, inevitably Pitts is going to get more targets, of course, different types of players in some ways, but you know, it, those will cut into London's targets a little bit. If the Falcons aren't completely moronic, um, the Pitts thing continues to be baffling the amount of Kyle Pitts games in his career at this point where they just have not gone to him with the football Uh is completely nonsensical. He had some separation issues on a couple of those plays, but the amount of times where he was even off the field, um, it, it makes absolutely no sense. The Drake London thing is exciting, but the um, uh, Arthur Smith have, quote yeah. afterward about Pitts was infuriating. Yeah. We didn't draft it's him unbelievable. for football. It's like, well, dude, it's, you did draft him to get the fucking ball in his hands because not only that, but like we saw two, we saw two pass catchers go in the next two picks right after him, Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle. And those two guys are changing the landscape of their offenses in a way that Pitts right now is just not. Well, and I, I mean, play the, the Arthur uh, roulette wheel of quotes this season. Week one, uh, hammering the media for <laughs> bashing the Falcons in preseason rankings as if that would be any kind of a surprise. And then the Falcons promptly losing a, uh, a heartbreaking game with a terrible second half. And then being surprised that the media would have tough questions after that. Very interesting stuff there from Arthur as the cycle continues of just uh, god-awful uh, coaches in Atlanta. Of course, we, we don't know for Arthur yet, but it's looking pretty awful 
uh, here at a uh, at the beginning of the era. Go ahead, Reed. The decision to punt on fourth and one when y'all are up one or two on the Saints in Saints territory. One of the worst. I mean, I think if Nathaniel Hackett weren't alive, that would be getting a lot more attention. Is one of the most like what the fuck are you doing kind of decisions that any coach has had. Yeah, I maybe do that with like a top five all time defense or something, and you feel good that you're going to pin them back. Not after the Falcons were getting bled in the second half of that game. So just I, I, even in a vacuum, that's a dumb decision. But based on what Jameis was doing against the Falcons defense in the second half of that game, absolutely nonsensical. Um, but hey, it's good for a top three pick, Mr. Foster. It's good for a top three pick. Keep the march going. Um, all right, we talked about Drake London, Garrett Wilson. Uh, you you want to touch on Olave? Yeah, getting, I mean, I uh, getting all those targets. I mean, it's not about the targets for me. It's the fact that he has so many air yards. I mean, we're talking like three hundred and sixty-five air yards. I mean, you, different places evaluated differently. So some people, it's the lowest I saw is like three fifteen, which even that, it, like, you just don't see that. You don't see over three hundred air yards. And you know, obviously, Jameis Tim didn't connect on all of them, but. He just needs to connect on a few of them. And I I do firmly believe that he's better than Jarvis Landry. And I think he might be better than Michael Thomas already. I I was a huge Chris Olave guy watching Ohio State last year. Uh, I I think he's going to be, I I think Wilson, London, and Olave, I feel confident saying will all be top 25 receivers this year. And a lot, I mean, Olave, like at this point, I'm not doing it this week, but. I want Olave could very easily have the kind of performance this week that makes me have to really, really make some tough decisions about who to start in my lineup. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I fully agree. Um, I was very excited that Barra did not, uh, get in on, on Olave after or Drake London ton, or, or Drake London. I mean, tons of talk on, on both guys, obviously the massive F you already, to uh to Barra with uh his USC boy Drake London going to the Falcons, his least favorite team in the league, but uh continues to be more and more of an FU as both of those guys are repping and looking awesome. Um, I think he hates the Bucks more, low key. I mean the, the thing with Bucks, uh the thing with NFC South rivalries at this point is like, you know, the Falcons have been so irrelevant now for uh five plus years, basically, to where, you know, especially the Brady Bucks era, things have gotten extremely heated between those two teams, people, people are acting like this has been a rivalry, like, like a heated rivalry forever. I guess there's always been beef, but. Well, with Lattimore and really, Evans. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those course, two has been a like, beef. The franchises though. Like, no, definitely not. I mean, right now, yeah. like, but like, you know, it's like you said, the Falcons, <laughs> Falcons have been like that. The Panthers have been so bad that like, I can't even muster the energy to hate the Falcons and the saints because all my, <laughs> all my hate is being directed at Matt rule right now. I don't have time to, to hate, hate on y'all. Nice. All right. Who else we got here? Dotson. The Dotson thing, like, it feels like he'll be their top target man by the end of the year. It feels like this can only go up. Maybe not the top target man, but 10 targets in two games, and he's putting up these numbers. Of course, you have to say that it's a little inflated with three touchdowns in two games. How many two-game sample sizes this year is that going to happen? But it feels like the targets are only going to go up, and it's been a good start. Is that a, a fair assessment, you think, with Dotson? Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree that the touchdowns are going to come down, but I do think that he's going to be someone that Carson Wentz looks for when they get down to the red zone because he's got such a brilliant catch radius, and that was one of the things that really stood out about him when you watched him at Penn State. Despite, I think he's like 5'11", but he's got a really long wingspan. He'll go up and get some balls. It's not dissimilar, actually, from Steve Smith, the Panthers legend, 
obviously Dotson will never be that good. Um, I still think Terry is probably the best receiver on, on Washington and will continue to be the number one receiver. But I think that Dotson is good enough that he's going to eat into Terry's value. Uh, and I would still, you know, Curtis Samuel has had a really nice couple of games and he's got a really high target share, but I would take Dotson over Curtis Samuel the rest of the year in our league, just because like, I don't want the types of targets that Curtis Samuel is getting are not as tasty as the targets Dotson's getting. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, and look, I mean, great to see like the Wentz thing. Um, they're going to be, I, I, we touched on this earlier in the show. They're going to keep airing it out in a lot of these games to where it's not going to matter too much. How kind of quote unquote good Carson Wentz is in a vacuum. The volume is going to be there. He's going to be throwing the football a ton. They're going to be trailing in some of these games. And that's why I think looking at this kind of production with just 10 targets in two games is a pretty good sign for Dotson with those numbers inevitably going up uh, as just, I think all passing things in this Washington offense will be in pretty good shape uh, for the rest of the year. Brief aside, you know, it's funny. Think about like how everyone talked about Carson Wentz and the Colts whenever they were done after last season compared to now. And you were on this cause you're, you know, you're a Matt Ryan hater or old Matt Ryan hater. Wentz looks a lot better without the Colts. Colts looking a lot yeah. worse without Wentz. It's, it's it has to be true. said. It has to be it's said. It's very true. It's very true. It's a small it's a small sample size right now in terms of the Matt Ryan era um, in Indy. But uh, he's he's been washed for this. I would say this would be the fourth year. Uh, you could make the argument between third and fourth in terms of the washed Matt Ryan era. And I was the biggest Matt Ryan defender you'll ever meet. And in one of the uh, biggest skeptics you will find now, and you know, the Wentz versus Ryan thing. I mean, look, Wentz has made some questionable throws as well. I would say over the first couple of games. Um, oh yeah. He's had, he's still he's, Wentz. He's, he's gotten away with some, he's not gotten away with others, you know, but um, again, the volume stuff there, you like, you like how that team is set up from a fantasy perspective, um, especially with the consistent floor. Where with Matt Ryan, I think you're going to have some minus twos on the board this season, uh, which is the worrying thing there when you compare those two guys. All right. A few other rookies. Uh, who else you want to touch on? I mean, the Green Bay thing with Watson versus Romeo. Um, Obviously impacting you know, the two of us. Happy. Yes. You with Romeo, me with Christian. Um, you know, as you've put on the outline, both pl- playing behind Wat- Watkins and Lazard for now. Uh, they both are pretty similar in terms of targets. I mean, basically Christian Watson had that one big bomb drop in week one. Uh, Romeo, I think has had one decently sized play. He had like a 20 yarder or something. He's had two 20 plus uh, yard catches this year. So, and that's kind of been the story with them versus each other so far. It, it feels like they're not going to be startable anytime soon from a fantasy perspective. Although they're going to put, you know, what one of them is going to put up a massive performance here one of these weeks. I would still lean toward Christian Watson. You would probably feel differently. Um, we're both going to hang on to them for the foreseeable future, I would imagine. You see one of those weeks strung together with another one back to back, then maybe you think about starting them. Is that where your head's at on your guy? Like, yeah, you I mean, I a couple I weeks in a row it. of something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Dobbs, because entering the, he, what he was a little more advanced in college than Watson was, who was one of the most raw receivers coming out. And then obviously Watson missed a notable chunk of training camp. And so he, they're still kind of getting him acclimated, 
but it's one of those things where you could tell they are invested. They're probably more invested in Christian Watson than Romeo Dobbs, obviously because they traded up to get him 33rd overall pick. Um, They're trying to get him the ball. They're making concerted efforts to keep Christian Watson in this offense. I mean, I don't, I would not be surprised if both of them are like flexible, like flex, you know, flex two guys by the end of the year. Um, You know, I think, Probably around like week eight, week nine, we need to start seeing something with those two, but I'm not loving it. Um, I would tell you, you know who I, we haven't got to him yet. The guy who I think is going to ascend quite a bit among these rookie wide receivers is Traylon Burks. He leads the Titans in yards and in targets, and you watched him on Monday night. There's a little A.J. Brown in him. And obviously we saw that. That was the big comp that everyone made for him coming out of Arkansas. And he was so raw. But it's one of those things where, like, they they have no one to throw to, first of all. But also, when he gets the ball and can get moving, there are just not that many dudes who are that big and that fast. And you get him going. I could easily see Traylon have, you know, one of those, the classic A.J. Brown catch a little crossing route. Bam, he makes a guy miss. He goes for 60 yards and a touchdown. So I think by the end of the year, Burks will probably be the fourth best receiver option in terms of trying to start, even if maybe it takes a little while to get there. Are you, I mean, what's the concern level in terms of who's throwing to him for you? Uh, I mean, it's, I think Tannehill's fine. Um, You know, I, but again, you know, that offense is why I don't have Traylon Burks first overall, which like theoretically in terms of like opportunity, he should be the number one rookie wide receiver because he everyone else sucks on that team. Robert Woods coming off toward ACL looks washed. I mean, he just looks he looks terrible. Nick Westbrook, Akine, like how are you giving that guy a bunch of snaps? You know, like you said, it, it's still Tannehill throwing to him, not a great offense. So that's what that's what keeps me having him at the fourth. But I I still would be interested in him. Honorable mentions here. Uh, Sky Moore had that one big play so far. George Pickens, uh, you have put in parentheses Pickett Hope. You want to any Pickens uh, or Sky Moore, you know, quick points you want to hit on here, Reed, or keep it moving? I would just say with both of them, I put them in the category of like like Jalen Tolbert, for example, the rookie wide receiver out of South Alabama that the Cowboys took in the third round. Eric took him in the auction and he dropped him after the week one, and I think that's a justifiable decision. That dude like has been a healthy scratch, even though the wide Cowboys wide receivers have been decimated. Get him off. He's not rosterable at all. Pickens and Sky Moore, I would wait a little bit on. I would wait a little bit on them because Pickens, he's still in the flow of the game or whatever, and I think that Mitch has just been so bad that if Kenny Pickett comes out there, he absolutely could begin to explode and be a quality startable player. Sky Moore, he starts to get more opportunities. That's such a good offense with the Chiefs that I just want to bet on that. And I'm a little... As long as he's like he's still active is the thing. If he were inactive, I'd say fucking drop him. But you know, I, I think especially now with like the rookie tag benefits, you have to be more cautious. And we we've seen it before. Like Justin Jefferson, as you remember, like did nothing his first two games, and then they finally got him in. They worked a rotation. He kind of splashed onto the scene. I so I think Sky Moore could potentially do that. Still, I, I wouldn't. I think only a few more weeks for him, but I'd still hold on it on to him at least. Yeah, I, I'd want to see a string of games where, you know, can can we see multiple targets for a few games in a row? Can 
we see any kind of consistency just in terms of the involvement, even before consistency in terms of production uh, mm-hmm. going forward. It, it feels a little like we are going to get a big Sky Moore game. You know, he's going to he's going to go off for one of these 40 plus yard touchdown receptions, get involved, you know, maybe even a big t- in, on a big TV spot. And then the next week lay a dud and we'll continue to mm-hmm. kind of wonder how he fits into this offense um, with all the other pieces. All right. What, one other uh, guy here uh, that you've put down, Alec Pierce, we kind of hit on this uh, in the Matt Ryan bashing corner. For me, it's like, I just, I don't, I don't really want anything to do with this Colts offense right now. I don't, I I would play Matt. I would, I would play Matt Ryan uh, out of pure desperation, uh, maybe versus someone like Jacoby Brissett, maybe depending on matchups and everything. That's the biggest compliment that I can <laughs> that I can give Matt Ryan in a fantasy uh, in a in a fantasy point of view right now, and even then I don't love it much uh, at all for Pierce's development. So, yeah, I don't love it either. I just think he's solid to, to just at least monitor because Michael Pittman's dealing with that quad injury. Maybe things start acting up, and if Pittman's out, then maybe Pierce is the number one receiver there, and he gets so many targets that he's valuable. But I, I'm with you there. All right, we will switch to picking these games. There's a couple other things to hit on, though. One, we touched on Tua earlier. Uh, let's just give him the spotlight now in terms of the Tua macro perspective, Reed. Uh, you know, obviously, even after the auction draft, it was like, hey, this Dolphins offense, it's about question. There's more question marks than answers right now. Uh, a lot of that was answered in a pretty em- emphatic way there after week two. Where you add on Tua, you know, this is a dude who we obviously saw be a superstar in college in the pros. It's kind of always been give them the weapons, improve the line, then let's figure things out. They've done all of that in the offseason, and they did figure it out in week two. Do you think Tua can be that week two guy? He's not going to drop 50 fantasy points every week, but can he be some version of that uh, in terms of the season as a whole, Reed, do you think? Absolutely. I... I wasn't huge on Tua going into this year. It was a little, I was a little skeptical, but intrigued by the offense. And Mike McDaniel has just blown me away with what he's done. Because, like, the thing is that week one they, they weren't particularly great. But you know, if you listen to Bill Simmons, who many are saying is the Reed Foster of the Ringer, he yeah. <laughs> noted that in week one against the Patriots, the Dolphins had a bunch of dudes running wide ass open downfield that Tua didn't see or whatever. And what we saw what happened when he sees them against the Ravens, he started seeing them. And so I, with that offense, with Mike McDaniel skimming it up and him throwing to Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, in a league where these 40-plus yard plays can completely change a week, I, I think, Tua, at this point, you have to consider a top five quarterback for the rest of the year. Top five. Yeah, I, I mean... Let's see a slightly larger sample size, um, you know, but all of the stuff about, hey, once you add in weapons, like all of those questions got answered here after week two because he involved those dudes in major ways. Um, This felt like in a lot of ways the best version, kind of best case scenario for two, especially later in that game in the second half. Um, He's getting the opportunities to air out the ball. You know, the game script is him basically them needing him to do so. Uh, I'd like to see Tua in a slightly more kind of stable uh, 
game script situation in terms of the balance there. But beyond that, I would agree he could definitely get into the top five, you know, six touchdowns. How often are you going to get that this year? But beyond that, the other stuff seems replicable, I think, week to week uh, for the most part. So, yeah, the Tua thing has been very, very, very impressive. Uh, credit to uh, to Curtis for uh, at least so far seeming to hit on that. He'll be getting a tough matchup this week, though, against Baby Don't Hurts Me. Mm. Going to get into some of those matchups. We will start just because the segue makes the most sense with me versus your brother. But first, before we get into the weeds of this matchup, we touched on it a little bit, the quarterback situation for Jack. He's, of course, gone out and got in uh, Cooper Rush, you know, just to give himself someone there on the bench right now. I mean, you've put this question down on paper, Reed. So clearly it's something that you're thinking about. The struggles of Brady in general, you could say, certainly from a fantasy perspective early this year. And then the defending AFC champions, the Bengals. Uh, you get the big, you know, passing yard week, week one, but he throws a pick six and four interceptions. Week two, things settle down a little bit more, but you don't get as much fantasy explosion for Joe Burrow. I, let's put it this way, Reed. Who do you feel better about big picture? Just in terms of this season, obviously Tom Brady's 45 years old. So this thing's going to wrap up here pretty soon, but this season, who do you feel better about right now? Burrow or Brady? It's tough, man. It's, it's really, really, really tough. Um, I probably am going to go with Brady because I think that a lot of the problems that the Bucks have right now are just because their receivers are hurt, and I think that they're going to get a bunch of those guys back. Um, and I think the offensive line is going to get a little bit healthier as the year goes on. With the Bengals, my concern is that Joe Burrow had appendectomy right before the season, and he doesn't quite look like himself yet. And if you look at like if you go look at like what Bengals people are saying, the Bengals people are really concerned because they're just saying straight up like Joe Burrow does not look like himself. And I mean, because we could talk about, oh, well, you know, Burrow took a bunch of sacks last year and all that. That's true. That's absolutely true. But he wasn't throwing pick sixes like crazy last year, like he did against the Steelers. And the Steelers, you know, they faced they faced a couple incredible pass rushers. Micah Parsons and TJ Watt are the two best edge rushers in the league, and they can completely wreck your game plan. That that certainly is true. But if Burrow is not himself or takes a while to, to become back to himself, that really, really concerns me. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm concerned about Brady too, though, because right now, you know, this week might not have Julio, won't have Godwin, won't have Mike Evans, might be on a third string left tackle. Those things absolutely concern me. Yeah, Tampa offense twenty fourth uh, in yards per game so far. Uh, Fournette pretty bad week one, pretty good week two. You 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 kind of in on the Fournette thing in terms of marching them down the field and then Brady gets some of those touchdown fantasy points. Could you see that being what this offense is? Or, or are you worried a little bit about what Fournette was week one? Uh, no, I mean, I think it was just, uh, I, I think I'm confident Fournette. My only thing with him is, is he going to stay healthy? Because like there, there's been some quotes about like how Lenny did it all week two on one leg. And, you know, he left early week one because of the hamstring thing. Uh, but his usage, he's been like over 80% usage. Like it's unbelievable. And so for the time being, Lenny, I think is clearly a top eight running back in fantasy. Um, but also like we talked about the Bucks defense, their defense might be so good that they don't need to throw it that much. And that's going to hurt you. Yeah. I, and also for Jack, you know, 
keep in mind, he's pairing Burrow with Jamar Chase, who had a monster game week one, did the Jamar Chase thing, still got a lot of targets week two, didn't get into the end zone, didn't get as many big plays, uh, and finished with 50-something receiving yards. So, uh, you know, as Burrow goes, perhaps goes Chase as well, you've got two eggs in, in one basket there uh, for Jack, which would be, you know, I'm not going to be saying I'm concerned about having Jamar Chase uh, on your team in a sophomore season, but something to look out for, especially considering what many of us have considered Chase's ceiling. Starting there, we mentioned Jack, we mentioned my team. Right now, Jacoby Brissett is in there at QB2 for me. Kirk Cousins, as I am in complete, I want to put Kirk Cousins in the doghouse mode, has to be my anchor of a QB1 here coming into a must-win week three as an 0-2 team. Um, I will say this. I feel good about what's to come for Eckler. I think his involvement in the passing game was promising. Uh, I think in terms of the overall touches, I feel pretty solid. I'd be more worried about what's to come for Najee, uh, just in terms of what the expectations were for him before this season. Uh, but I still think when you look at my running back depth, that could carry me a little bit with the top end of my receivers getting it done. Of course, there's the Mooney question marks that we outlined earlier in the show. Quarterback, though, is really where the big concerns are for me. Will I have someone other than Jacoby Brissett starting by game time? Stay tuned to find out. As Brissett is in there, I'm at a 42% chance to win. Mr. Big Chase projected to beat me 197, really 198 to 185. Are you going with the numbers on this one, Reed? Yeah, I would I would take you against the spread, I think. Um, I, I think Alvin Kamara is going to have a pretty middling game just because uh, he's probably going to be on a limited snap count with that rib injury. Uh, I I don't think Brady's going to have a huge game against against Green Bay with his receivers all out. Um, I think I think Mooney's going to get it done for you, but I just think overall Jack seems a little too good. I think it's going to be a huge Jalen Waddle game again against a uh, bill secondary that looks pretty, pretty weak. And I, I just think he's too solid top to bottom for you, but I think it'll be, I think it'll be close. I think Jack will probably be around like the six highest score this week or something. Not, not a, a great week from him, but enough to get it done. As things stand, you know, if things are close at all, it's going to be all eyes on the Cowboys offense uh, under Cooper rush on the uh, Monday night game for me to see if uh CD lamb and, uh, uh, and Mr. Schultz can figure something out. I, I've been in these spots. This would be the third week in a row where it's like trailing big, going into a late prime time game, needing a miracle. Week one, it didn't happen. Week two, it should have happened. And uh, week three, hopefully things can be a little closer and not put as much pressure on, you know, CD needing to give a 30 burger or something, which he looks a lot less want to do uh, this season, really under Dak or potentially now under Cooper Rush either. So uh, got a late touchdown last week. Hopefully he can keep getting into the end zone. <clears throat> but what looked like a great keeper there also, you know, everyone's talked about the Trey Lance thing. Some concerning stuff for CeeDee Lamb as well, I would say, uh, when you well, look at the outlook, at least for the next few weeks. Of course, the quarterback thing you can't predict uh, happening. But go ahead, Reed. Well, I was going to say you you effectively had an injury to both of your keepers. More or less. I will say, I do think Darnell Mooney is going to, I predict he will outperform his entire season total in this game against the Texans. 
Would not be hard to do, my friend. Would not be hard to do. Can you throw him the football a couple of times? Can you catch the football a couple of times? One catch could uh, give him a season total. Uh, it would be in nice this to spot. see. Even one, one very reasonable little ten-yard first down play. Uh, all right, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Jack uh, as things stand a, a slight edge in this one as well. Uh, I will say, you know, the flex depth continues to be a solid spot for me. Will that be different in the second half of the season? I want to see what happens, especially because Carter feels a little bit more predictable right now where it's like, I think at least this first half of the season, he's going to be involved, going to get the targets. Will he get the lead rush carries or not? Maybe not, but he's going to be involved enough as a good flex option. The Henderson thing is actually more worrying for me. He got a touchdown last week. That's the main reason why he ends up at 14. Uh, Gets 10 carries to uh, the... 15, I believe, for Cam Akers, if I'm remembering that split correctly. Yeah. If that happens again this week, that becomes more concerning. I'd like to see that flipped. like to see a little bit more production because it does feel like that is a play based on volume and kind of nothing else in terms of the rest of the year. So he's not getting the volume. You're not going to be able to start Daryl Henderson very uh, confidently, I would say, going forward this year. So Uh, that's the flex stuff. Go ahead, Reed. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think that Daryl Henderson, like he still is going to have in that in the that backfield, I think he is guaranteed to have a flex level of play. But where, Guaranteed, okay. Yeah, but what I'm concerned about is that after week one, I was looking at it like, wow, this guy might be like an RB2, fringe RB1 type. And in retrospect, you probably should have flipped him. You know, that's... Should have flipped him. I did. You know, this is one of those... This is one of those things where I've started having the Henderson conversation now this week because of the desperation in my quarterback situation. And, you know, of course people are looking at the targets at the, the, the usage rate stuff now, and it's like not as appealing. So now I kind of need another game to try to convince folks, but I'll leave it out to the league. Whoever's listening right now, he's somewhat available. If you're wanting to have a chat. I mean, I, you know, uh, he does feel he's a flex with benefits right now. Cause he's a, a solid flex. Benefits. And if cam Akers goes down, bam, he might be an RB one. True. True. Uh, all right. I'll give a slight edge to Mr. Big Chase. I think the numbers are a little off here. Um, <clears throat> this team, I will say this, despite the injuries, as you say, basically injuries that affect both of my keepers. You know, you look at, again, the running backs in particular, I think you're due. You know, I'm going to get a 40 point Eckler week, one of these weeks. Uh, it's going to happen. I think a couple of these spots, you know, even Diggs. 20.99, I think he could clear that pretty comfortably. And that's not an overreaction based on the 50. So I think a couple of those projections are a little bit low. Um, you know, the Schultz thing. You might uh, want to find a replacement. Po- I was going to say it's possible. I'm going to have to move that around anyway. But um, regardless, I think the numbers are a little off in what could still very well be a win if I'm starting Jacoby Brissett. As we move on, Country Road take. Mahomes, Eve, Saint Lawrence. That's Melfi versus Reed. What a matchup right now. As I just make sure that nothing is missing right now, the computers like uh, Melfi on this one by almost 10 points, 185 and change versus about 177 on the projections. That's a 56% chance that Yahoo is giving Melfi to get his first win of the season. Do you think those numbers are right or wrong, Reed? Uh, I think they're still underrating Damian Pierce a little bit. 
Um, I think they, I understand why they have Travis Etienne that low. Um, but frankly, I think that he should be the favorite this week. I am particularly concerned about the fact that uh, Patrick Mahomes and Juju Smith-Schuster will be facing off against the Colts defense. And their defensive coordinator is Gus Bradley, who was the defensive coordinator for the Raiders the last few years. And Mahomes absolutely carves them up every single time because Bradley with that cover three defense, any quarterback that knows what the fuck they're doing always can carve it up, especially if you have not elite players. And I mean, you look last year, the two highest regular season scoring performances from the chiefs were against the Raiders. And both of them were in the 40 points. So would it be crazy if Patrick Mahomes had 50 and Juju was the recipient of like 35 points that wouldn't stun me at all. I I do think kind of across the board for your team, Reed, there are a few undervalues Pierce. You mentioned ETN, you mentioned, I mean, the Kyle Pitts thing, eventually you're going to get some 20 point performances from him. I'd love uh, to see that. Is that going to happen in Seattle? Um, maybe. Hopefully. Yeah, maybe. Um, that would be where I would look. Yeah, I like your flex stuff a lot. Um, well, I basically I like right now the setup is that like my basically my starting running backs are in flex and yeah, you have the, the flex yeah, are yeah. A, a starting running back. But I mean the the point point stands. Um, I mean, again, like I've looked at your roster a lot as a kind of big picture versus short term team. You're definitely playing the long hand in terms of the season as a whole. Melfi, obviously at 0-2, very badly needs this game. You said you kind of like his roster despite being an 0-2 team. Uh, You go to 0-3, and this is not dissimilar to where I'm at, and that ends up being a pretty big hole where you start having to to think about shifting around some big pieces and start thinking about, you know, a a blockbuster trade or two. So Melfi certainly got some of those pieces. We'll see what happens if you do take this one. Um, He's certainly going to have the edge – terms of the, some of the Mahomes stuff that you just mentioned. And I really like his receivers a lot. I think this one will be close though. I think, I think both teams in the mid one eighties. I would say this. I think you talk about you and Melfi, like talking about your teams, both being Owen two. I do think that a similarity y'all have is I like both of y'all starting lineups a pretty good amount, but I, I think both of y'all just have terrible depth right now on your bench. And I think that's I think that that's a big problem when it comes to creating trades down the line, is that for you I, almost everyone that is worth trading is in your starting lineup, and that's the same thing with Melfi, and so I think that's where it gets pretty difficult. And that's not well, to say I, I'm like I'm not I'm yeah. not flooded with depth or anything, but like I look at Jack like Jack facing you right now, he's got Cordero Patterson on his bench. Yeah, he's a valuable fucking person. He's got Jahan Dotson, who we were just praising, on his bench. It's one of the biggest issues with the Lance thing. I mean, apart from having no leverage in a quarterback-valued league where people know that going into trade talks, uh, there was a uh, a point where it was looking like, all right, like I like the top seven guys on my team pre-Lance injury. You know, you can talk yourself into maybe one of these flex position guys becoming an even better flex position guy at a, at a position of more value to my own team or something like that. Now, you know, a, from a leverage point of view with the quarterback value, but B um, just in terms of the bench, you know, I said 
this even after the auction. This is going to be something that I have to build up through waivers. I liked getting Julio. I still think long-term on the season, that could be a nice pickup. Uh, but there's agree. not a whole lot there. And so I, you know, I have to think about this as far as like, who can I lose from the starting lineup that I can then plug someone back into from the bench? It's not looking like that. It's looking more like, you know, the better case scenario for me potentially, especially if I go, zero and three read is can Eckler get back to monster status and maybe I shop him around to do a, you know, one superstar for two stars kind of a deal or something like that, uh, which would not be ideal if the Najee thing is not as promising as it ended up looking. So a lot of stuff we'll, we'll find out over the next couple of weeks, but. And well, the thing with you is that I would say right now, the most ideal sell high candidate you have is Stefan Diggs, because as much as we like him, he's not probably going to perform to the level that he did the first two weeks. You do want him because he's going to have these spike weeks again, but you know, they're limiting his snap share a little bit, trying to rest him or whatnot. Gabe Dave didn't play Monday night. Um, but the problem is that your receivers are, are pretty thin right now. And whereas like running back, you could afford to trade from a little bit more, but I don't think that Henderson and Carter are stable enough where you'd feel comfortable offloading an Eckler or a Najee who you need to be staples. One well, the the problem right now, just having had trade conversations with three or four teams in a somewhat serious way over the last few days is, you know, <clears throat> the thought process on both Carter and Henderson is I'm just not getting a lot of value in return because people are looking out onto the horizon for what are these guys in the second half of the season, which, you know, I, I would just say to, to name names, I understand that fully uh, for someone like Curtis, understand it a little bit less for someone like Shannon, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. I thought we could have maybe made something that, you know, square pegs and square holes, round pegs and round holes work between our two teams, but ultimately uh, he wasn't about it. So, you know, right. if the, if the, if the market value on those two guys on, on Carter and Henderson isn't there right now, you know, I kind of, I kind of see where this is going with Carter. I think with Henderson, it's a little bit harder to predict. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's tricky. I agree. Dealing either Najee, Najee or Eckler, uh, you know, there's, you end up getting yourself into a hole quickly, unless you, you get the same position, uh, you know, with startable players in that trade. So the, I, I, I'm going to get the ball rolling on some of these conversations. Obviously I'm hoping I'm not going to go 0 and three, but you look at the opponent and the timing of the quarterback injury and where things are at with QB two for me. And it could be tough. Uh, I'm going to go Melfi just as a slight, slight win over you read, by the way, as far as my official pick there, uh, I think it's going to be close. Melfi really needs the win. Uh, I think if he goes 0 and three with his, he's gotten a little bit better as a trader, here as the league's gone along, but with his trade pedigree, let's just put it this way. And I understand this. I was last place last year. I could be last place going into an 0-3 start. I like my chances more as a trader in this league at either 1-2 and two or 0-3 than I do for Melfi. But that's just a small chirp that I'll make here uh, as we as we move on. Anything else on your matchup, Reed? Uh, no, I think I would agree. I'd give a slight edge to Melfi this week because of the Mahomes against the Colts factor. Melfi, congrats on uh, what will now be an inevitable loss to 0-3 as we both pick you. We should, uh, uh, you know how the Predators had that banner about like all the regular season attendance or whatever. They beat the, the Hurricanes once in a playoff series. Yeah, We should do that for <laughs> yeah. Melfi. Both people yeah. picked him to win. <laughs> it's a first tier of the program. Well done, Melf. 
Uh, all right, let's go on to uh, winning is a breeze versus Justin Squared. This is Barra against Eric. Uh, tight right matchup. Now, yeah, right now looking very tight as I just try to see if the lineups are more or less set here. Um, 196 and change to about 195 is where the projection is at right now. Justin Squared coming off of a win over me nearly. You know, we talked about this from my perspective. What a heartbreaking loss that would have been from him. Not that it was a great fantasy performance from him last week. Didn't get to 170. But, you know, he was in control of that matchup the entire time. A 50-burger from Stefan Diggs puts that thing right up to the finish line. And we mentioned what Kirk Cousins did with that finish line earlier in the show. So, Justin Squared now, just like that, as I remind myself what his record is, is 2-0. Is two and zero oh against a one and one Barra team. He's the Barra only undefeated extremely person. Extremely confident. I think it's safe to say after week one, I was not on the pod last week. I'm sure he was gloating like crazy. Oh yeah. Uh, and of course, comes right back down to earth despite a decent performance. Gets the loss. He's one and one against a two and zero oh team. Both teams projected in the mid one nineties in this one. Um, you know, Cup went off against the Falcons. Seems like he's going to be cup again. We, start on whichever side you want here, Reed. Right now, the slight edge on the computers is going to Eric. I, I do think it's worth noting that I believe there's a, probably a strong chance that Eric will start Garrett Wilson over Josh Palmer. A lot, maybe if Keenan Allen's out again, he'll go to Palmer. But I think decent chance, especially Eric as an Ohio State guy, and what I mean, obviously, just what Garrett Wilson did last week, putting him into the lineup that potentially could change things. Uh, for Eric, I, I'm pretty concerned about Daniel Jones. I think that he is just not good. Uh, let's just be honest with ourselves. He is not a good quarterback. And watching the Panthers-Giants game on Sunday it was an example of why close games are not necessarily good games. It was torture for everyone involved, and I just simply felt bad for everyone who had to watch it. And I think this is this could easily be a game where Micah Parsons has like two strip sacks on Danny Dimes and he has a pick six to Trayvon Diggs. And I, I think it could be a negative point performance from Danny Dimes. Uh, I think it's really, you know, Michael Pittman maybe plays, maybe he doesn't. You know, he has that quad injury. That would be huge uh, for Barrett getting him back. I don't love Kareem Hunt against the Steelers defense. I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire, frankly, is a guy that, Barrett needs to be trying to trade right now because his usage is actually not that great, but he's had a lot of touchdowns and he had that one long run against the chargers at the end of the game. Uh, but right now, I mean, right now he's like, I think a top 10 running back in terms of fantasy points this year. I don't see that continuing at all. In fact, uh, I, I don't really like his flexes all that much compared to Eric's. And I do think that like, what's huge is I think Justin Fields, they, they, the Bears are not going to only have him throw it 11 times again. It is not physically possible if he stays healthy for him to throw it that few times again. And up against the Texans defense, I feel pretty good. This could be a big Justin Fields week. I feel pretty good about, uh, about Dalvin against that Lions defense. I think Eric's got a pretty good team. And, you know, if he gets this win, he goes to 3-0. He's the only undefeated team in the Marino and then he would he would win this game. He'd enter rivalry week three and zero in first place in the division, up against his brother Daniel, who's got maybe the best team in the division at the moment. And that's and he could potentially go up two and a half games on Daniel. 
with the win this week and setting himself up for that, for which I think would be the game of the week. So I'm going with Eric. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going with Eric too. Uh, I'm not totally there on the Justin Fields thing yet. I, again, rain week one, you know, it, this is like 200 combined passing yards. I get that the upside for him involves the ground game. As 15 well, combined but... completions. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I wasn't in love with his receivers coming into the year. Kirk obviously has been, what, a top six or seven guy through these first yeah, couple weeks. He's been excellent. Um, <clears throat> which has been awesome for him. I think Scary Terry, uh, just depending on how you view that game, I view it as kind of another game where Washington's just going to have to air it out to kind of stay with Philly. And Philly has shown themselves to potentially let some of those receiver games happen. So maybe I mean, maybe he's okay maybe he's okay there i agree uh, with you we don't really know uh, what he's doing at receiver three go ahead reed uh no you you made uh a real strong point there and that has me a little concerned because darius slay he got a gun he got it done against mr jefferson and i love scary terry but he is not mr jefferson i just think the <laughs> i just think the game script there um he should probably be okay in terms of a lot of volume but yeah, I think he'll probably get like the 10 14. <laughs> I still think it'll be a blow up game. Yeah. Uh, you know, the backs obviously still pretty productive and certainly a decent amount of depth when you can go Montgomery, Barkley, Cook. Therefore, that bleeds into the flexes and he gives it gives him a flex edge. Um, you know, Devonta I, Smith, we 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 don't know that type of game. This is the thing with him. It's gonna happen once out of every four or five games. You just really don't don't know when those kind of big target games are happening for him. So. Yeah, I I don't like him at the flex at all. I'll, I'll say and, this and about he, yeah. I'll say, I'll say this about Eric's running backs. He and I had a, an argument after the auction. I said I had better running back group. Right now, Eric definitely has like the best running back group in the league because I've been blown away by the usage that Saquon Montgomery and uh, Dalvin Cook have gotten. But the volume that they're getting. Those guys could easily all be – those guys are all contenders to be top five running backs in any given week. And if you have that and you also have Justin Herbert, hopefully he's healthy, and you also have Justin Herbert, I'm going to feel pretty damn good about my chances if I'm Eric. Yeah. I, the only thing with him has always been, you know, if when Saquon gets hurt and, you know, obviously now Dalvin has had some of that recent hi history as well. But as long as those guys stay healthy, uh, he's in pretty good shape there. Um so, yeah, I think we're both giving a slight edge to, I guess we're going with the computers on this one, more or less. I, I would give Eric maybe a little bit more of an edge than the computers are. That would be my my hot take here. And I think he goes 3-0. and And I think Barrett comes down, back down to earth just a little bit. Just a uh, little bit I, with Daniel Jones going there in QB2. Not particularly great flexes. Um, you know, but he's uh, been cetera, really Go ahead. he's been really carried by the Buffalo defense the first two weeks. Who have been like they're they're excellent. They might be the best defense in the league. I wouldn't I wouldn't not say that. But how often is your defense going to score twenty plus points? To be fair, on the flip side of that, the projection is thirteen and change, right? So it's like if yeah. if more of the same happens, then maybe that projection is pretty fair, uh, in just in terms of where the computer's at. For um, sure. All right. So credit to uh, to Eric on a potential three and zero start there. What have we missed? Dennis system going up against Ben's walking boots and he's got a suspended player in there for now. Does Shannon, this is by the way, this is the Nick bowl, right? Yeah. Nick against Nick. This is, this is the Nick V Nick, the Nick Darby, the Nick bowl. 
Um, this projection will go up a little bit for the Dennis system. He's at 31% right now with a goose egg projected in there for a suspended Mike Evans. And Paris um, Campbell's coming out. And Paris Campbell is in there as well with a six-point projection as well as part of that Indianapolis offense. Having said that, with the guys he has in there right now, he's projecting them at 150s. Let's give him a courtesy 10 to 15-point bump there. Even then, he's projected to lose by double digits to Ben's walking boots. Do you think the computers are right there, Reed? Oh, yeah. I think I think Nick's going to get in that ass of Nick. Uh, I I think it's going to be a, a massive blowout. This will be the biggest blowout of the week, in my personal opinion. What's because I the running back situation for for Shannon is terrible. Oh, it's um, it's really, 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 really bad. Like I like fundamentally, like I can't believe how bad his running backs are. And Chase Edmonds, who was one of the highlights after week one, looks like he might be ceding control of that Miami backfield to Raheem Mostert, which ironically would benefit Nick, who might be playing him over Rex Burkhead in one of his flex spots. So Nick will actually improve his points projection as well. I, I'm not sure that – I don't think that Shannon has a single running back that I would feel comfortable starting in one of my RB1 or RB2 spots. We were low on his running backs when we talked after the auction draft. You have to be even lower right now as as we're talking a couple of weeks later, right? I mean, Chase Edmonds, <clears throat> the thing with him in that Arizona offense was he's not the lead guy. Finally, he goes to Miami. Oh, maybe he can be the lead guy. Oh, no, actually, it's going to be committee best case for him. And that's the guy he's slotting in as maybe RB1. Even if you want to call Singletary your RB1, no, we came into the season. We came into the season knowing what the Bills, what it's like to have Bills running backs. Okay, there's no secret about the the misery that is being a part of the Buffalo running game uh, back core. It looks even worse now. Singletary has 14 two. carries. It's not a good situation with his running backs. Um, you know, you go into the bench, you start thinking about all right. He's got Dobbins. Uh, he's got Gainwell, um, you know, Pacheco, Pacheco, if he starts getting more reps in the KC offense, McKissick, I mean, you know, Dobbins, you end up putting in there when he's healthy, but even then, do if, you trust him? But, but I'm just saying, considering what this team is, a lot of teams right. probably wouldn't have him in there, but considering what this team is, Dobbins probably ends up starting, uh, and like you say, even then, it's like it, it, this is a gross one of the grossest uh, running back situations I can remember in this league. You see this occasionally at quarterback because you know a guy goes down and teams are hoarding four or five guys. I'm not sure I can remember this bad of a running back situation in I, league history. Dare I say? Yeah, I don't know what happened. I mean, he spent. I think he spent the most on wide receivers or second most. So I guess probably that's a part of what happened. But even then, I I I just don't get it. Well, let me ask you this, because I, I don't know Shannon. Uh, you know, he's the newest member of the league. Um, I talked with him a decent amount this week, just trying to pick his brain on Carter and Henderson, right? It seemed like mm -hmm. either of those guys would improve his team immediately. Definitely would. You could have long-term concerns with them, but considering where he's at and who he's trotting out at running back and at flex positions right now,
it felt like that would be a good landing spot in a trade for either of those players, depending on what the return was. And we couldn't even get to, you know, tier two, tier three of the negotiating phase. He just was not high enough on those guys. Just looking at them in a vacuum saying, hey, I don't want them. And it's like, well, dude, I look who you've got. What is your plan at a position that outside of quarterback is the hardest to improve throughout the season in terms of trade, certainly. And in terms of waivers, like you'll find a guy or two, uh, but, you know, there's diamond in the rough stuff there or you're really locked in to some of the depth charts around the league. So I don't I mean, know what his plan is. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say with the running back thing with waivers, literally you just have to get like, you just have to stock up on handcuffs. Like, for example, last week, you know, I saw Najee. I have him in one of my other leagues. You know, Najee had the little foot thing. So I went and scooped Jalen Warren. You know, that those are the kind of guys that hit, you know. you Because there are the, the little, like the J.D. McKissick types are available all the time. Right. But McKissick legitimately might be his best running back right now. Mm. So I don't, I, I legitimately don't know. I I guess he has to trade A.J. Brown to get a running back. Maybe. I don't know. I, I think he's, he probably is just fucked. If we're being honest, I don't really see a waiver to get out of it. I don't know Shannon personally. Jack knows him. And Jack said that like whenever they were in the fantasy league, that they were alternating winning the championship. But I also was, I became aware of who else was in that league. And it made a little more sense that the competition was not exactly stiff. It seemed like I would have been a perfect way for him. You know, so he has Deshaun come again. When you just think about quarterback depth, his top two are good. Uh, certainly we compare it to some of the other situations around the league now. Um, and he has Deshaun Watson coming back later in the season. So I thought, you know, seems like you could get rid of Baker to me. Well, they for... have the, what about the bye weeks though? Right. But well, Russell's, he, I don't he, he, well, I'm saying, I don't think that, I don't think Watson's back till week 12. So right. like when are, so, but, when's but, Russell? But, you can, but my point is you can figure out some of this stuff while getting from me one to dare I say, maybe even two players that could be fringe starters on your roster. If you want to have a conversation about a bash quarterback, I just didn't understand his not even getting a starting point of the negotiating process. When I thought his roster and my roster could have paired themselves fairly nicely. I understand your points about the macro needing to get another quarterback in, but the running back down on his roster is not getting it done right now. So. Well, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, he's like I said, he's going to absolutely have to make a trade. Um, one of the bye weeks this year for them. Cardinals. And I I, I agree that the, the the bye week thing is a good point. Did you confirm? I don't know uh, the buys of each, but I'm looking at look it right, right now. On uh, let's see. Yeah, Arizona's is oh Arizona's is nine. week thirteen, and oh Seattle's is week nine, or Denver. Denver is week nine. I forgot that's Denver, where Russell yeah. Wilson plays. I, I nearly said the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Week nine. He, uh, so he, he needs a third QB for that. So that, yeah. that makes perfect sense. I mean, that's the problem with all of this is that no one has leftovers, which is like, it's, it's a small move, but like Nick, the, the real Nick secured Davis Mills for like a dollar or whatever on waivers after week one. That's a huge fucking move. That's a huge move. And again, like we said this after waivers, this is going to be all season a hard 
roster to trade yourself out of uh, for Shannon. And I kind of continue to think that later in the season, like if he's able to, to tread water a little bit and he gets Deshaun back and he could maybe move one of those quarterbacks, that's probably where the hope is at this point, unless he's able to convince someone, you know, to take on a suspended Deshaun Watson right now in the first stage of the season uh, or something along those lines, but he has no leverage. He has no leverage in these trade talks now. So um, when you get three startable quarterbacks, or I guess at that point it would be four past some bye weeks and stuff, he's going to have some opportunities for a trade at that point of the season, but I know he's he already picked up a win. He might be out of it. He has the lowest points forced at this point. Again, I feel bad chirping people when I'm 0-2. I do have more points forced. I like my team a little bit more than this squad, even after the Trey Lance injury. But uh, I'd be interested to see what happens. Regardless, we're both picking Ben's walking boots here, I would assume. Yeah, dominantly. All right. I think we got one more matchup here. Danny Boy against Curdy. Exactly. It's Kurt and Dan, anti-Vaxonville Jaguars against Baby Don't Hurts Me. Right now, as I do a quick scan to see if these lineups are more or less set, uh, you know, there again, we'll have some QB2 maybe decisions later this year as an old Aaron Rodgers versus a Wentz that just throws the ball a ton uh, later in the season. But for now, you'd assume he's going to an Aaron Rodgers at QB. Incredible QB tandem on the other side. Allen and Hurts. You know, it's in the name with Hertz as QB2. <clears throat> They're projected right now to clear 55 points. Uh, did I do the math right? Yes, I did. Yeah. As quarterbacks, he has a 58% chance to win. He's projected to get right around 200 and Curtis right around 186. That is a high projection at 200. A lot of that's coming off of the quarterback projections. Um, but, you know, of course, McCaffrey's in there as well. Man, are these numbers right, Reed? I don't love uh, Daniel's depth, like among the starters, because like I, I just don't think that is. I think that his running backs after Christian McCaffrey are all kind of sketchy, and I, and you can tell because like he keeps rotating who he starts. Like he doesn't know who his best running backs are, and that makes sense. Um, and I, I mean, I do think that these are. I think he's got enough guys with potential that some of them can hit as long as McCaffrey stays healthy. And obviously with his quarterback duo being as elite as, elite as it is. And I, I like his wide receivers quite a bit. I'm a huge Devontae fan, obviously. Uh, bold take of me to say that Devontae Adams is good. Uh, T. Higgins, obviously good. And Cortland Sutton, now that Jerry Judy's hurt, Sutton looks like he could really, really go off because Russell Wilson's going to have to be targeting him like crazy deep. Unless, of course, maybe the 49ers blanket him. But I, I think that... Daniel, you have to favor here. I think Curtis, I think Curtis will probably outperform his projections. I really, I you know, I think there's a, he's probably going to put in Gabriel Davis uh, whenever he's cleared to play. If he's cleared to play against Miami, I think that would be a pretty big deal. I think Derrick Henry is going to have a more favorable game script to work from. I I like Curtis's team right now a good bit, but Daniel's team with those two quarterbacks going, I think you have to favor them. And I do like I do like the little subplot that it is Tua against Josh Allen in real life and in fantasy. Ooh, yes, 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 yes. I I, I think this is one where, you know, <clears throat> 400 plus on the combined score. Um, I, I think one, if not both, will clear 200. I will give a slight edge uh, to Baby Don't Hurts Me to Dan 
based on some of the the floor stuff that you would expect from those quarterbacks, the top end of his receivers and McCaffrey. Uh, I think you, the reliability that you can expect from those, you know, five or six guys is enough to, at least in a pick segment, to pick him uh, here. And you can understand why the projection is where it is. I think there's a little bit more variance for the anti-vaxxinville team. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, although I do like the depth there uh, as well. And again, you know, the Aaron Rodgers thing be something to monitor uh, as we watch throughout the season, see how he gets into gear with some of those younger receivers as well. Some of the rookies that we talked about earlier this year. Um, and, you know, there are, there are kind of assumptions coming into this year already that Derrick Henry is going to, you know, reach that late career fall off a cliff kind of running back season. So in terms of the big picture, you certainly want to monitor that as well. But uh, in this game, I think he's going to put up close to 200. Dan, I think just slightly edges him uh, also on the right side of 200 points. Give you baby don't hurts me and a slight win here for me. Yeah. I want to go Daniel uh, 210 to Curtis 202. Oh, nice. So Curtis covering the spread. Yeah. Yeah. That's about my read on this one as well. All right. We've got the picks down. Anything else you want to get to read any, uh, you know, big league announcements, any announcements from the, the media empire. Uh, uh, what do you got? Well, it looks like, I, I don't know if the podcast will drop before the newsletter. I think there's a good chance that it will. The newsletter got pushed back a little bit because uh, I, one of the things I wanted to get into was these rookie wide receivers. And we're going, I'm doing a pretty deep dive just in the history of our league. What week did these rookie wide receivers break out? You know, we remember that Terry McLaurin burst onto the scene and that really transformed things. But when did he when did he officially break out? Justin Jefferson came out in week three. Just so we can kind of get an idea about when when should we start to panic about these receivers that don't break out. So I'm doing a little bit of a deep dive on that. That's you know, just getting all the numbers in a in a row for that's taking up a little bit of time. But we're gonna have that. I have a deep dive on Amon Ross St. Brown's last eight games. Spoiler alert. He's doing fucking incredible things. I'll give you a little stat here. He's on. If you extrapolated that over a 16 game season, he would have 130 catches. How many players do you think all time have had 130 catches in a season? Uh, three or four. Very close. It is five. Wow. It is. Uh, what do you call it? It was Cooper Cup last year. Antonio Brown in 2015, Julio in 2015, Michael Thomas in 2019, and Harvin Marison 2002. So we got that. The the deep archives there. I like it. Yeah, so we got that. Uh, We have the the rookie wide receiver breakout. And then we're also, we're going to have another edition of the the fastest two minutes. Going to try and make that a weekly thing. Get that going. So I think that'll be lots happening on the media front. Very, very excited about newsletter stuff. Uh, he is, you know, we the Bill Simmons of fantasy, but also the Peter King and uh, whatever, you know, whoever else you want to throw in here. The George R. R. Foster, Martin. The, the George R. R. Martin as he avoids riding and just watches sports. Basically, Checks yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> well, it takes a lot of time for him because he's a Jets and a Giants fan. So he's got to commit the time to watch both. I know. Is that really? Wow. I didn't realize he yeah. had both. I know he's a Mets guy. I'm pretty sure. So I, uh, he's my, my mortal enemy then. Um, 
<clears throat> but anyway, that's all we got. Uh, Reed, always a pleasure. Gangus Fantasy Podcast. Uh, I'm assuming it's an open call for whoever else wants to hop on in Absolutely. future weeks. Is that correct, Reed? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, especially maybe let's get a Shannon. Uh, I again, I wasn't in attendance at the draft. I don't was was everyone on the Discord feed or was no there a few no Shannon there? wasn't. Oh, okay. So we could. I'd like to do one where it's Shannon and Jack. Uh, maybe maybe next week if if Eric and Daniel win, maybe get a little Stibbleberg combo on there. Try and just look at look at those combos moving forward. Nice, nice. And hey, eventually uh, we can get Melfi to show his beautiful face as well. I've heard that he uh, pissed on camera during the draft, so that's fantastic. Or pissed just off camera. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, he did. I, I, I asked everyone because they mentioned they had to pee. I was like, oh, well, do do you want me to pause the auction right now? They're like, no, no, we can wait till the end of the round to take the break. And then, like thirty seconds later, Melfi's like, "I gotta pee. I'm just gonna do it," <laughs> and got out like a water bottle. I thought he was joking. Oh shit! And then we took the break, <laughs> and then he got up and carried the water bottle. I was like, "Is that apple juice in there? Like, what the fuck?" Jeez. <laughs> he also, I've never seen someone eat this much. He <laughs> ate, he ate a bunch of chips, then he ate um, some saltines, he ate a popsicle. And then he made a giant thing of pasta with cheese sauce and chicken. Nice. 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 Got to get those gains, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good, good on you, uh, Melfi. Uh, we'll get you on here one of these weeks. Maybe you're 0-7 at that point, and we can uh, we can talk about some blockbuster trade potential. Uh, maybe yeah. both of our teams are 0-7 at that point. So. Ooh. We'll talk about it then. Uh, Gangdas Fantasy Podcast. That's Reed Foster, a.k.a. Yves St. Laurent. I'm Falcoholics Anonymous, Taylor Wilson. We'll catch you next week. See you then. Peace.